have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. I've had my uh, drive paved, and uh, the, it seemed like it didn't bond, and I thought that you'd be the one to call and ask uh, what I should do about it now before I have it paved again. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor, and now Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. But more often than not, when we see something not bonding, it's uh, an issue in the preparation. Either it was too cool when it was laid, or the preparation wasn't quite right for it to bond like it should. But what you're describing to me is something that I don't see very often, just having a driveway come up in large clumps. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can join us. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Ken is here to help you deal with the issues that are important to today's homeowner. Or you can email your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. We're always talking about products and services and various things you need to know about maintaining or perhaps purchasing a home or building an addition. But today we're going to slow down a little bit and talk about something that affects absolutely every one of us, whether we're looking to spend a dime in new work around our house or not. That has to do with fire safety. And every time we get into this time of year, people start thinking a little bit maybe about heating, fireplaces, uh, the things they've got to deal with over the next several months. And that's where so many of these issues come in. And I do feel compelled to take a few minutes occasionally and hopefully make us a little safer around the home. I want to talk to you a little bit about some history of Fire Prevention Week. And most of us have grown up with some knowledge, some degree of it. It's been taught in schools, and we've had some understanding of it through various organizations and Red Cross and so forth. But I want to give you a little history on Fire Prevention Week. This really came about as a result of uh, the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. Now, folks, more than 250 people were killed in that fire. 100,000 were left homeless. And more than 17,400 structures, can you imagine that? Over 17,000 structures were burned along with more than 2,000 acres. And about the same time in 1871, there was another huge fire, the largest in American history, that took place that also destroyed a number of cities in the Midwest as well, but it certainly was not a heavily populated area. In the Peshtigo Fire, which was the most devastating, uh, this fire, which occurred in October of 1871 in northwest, northeast Wisconsin, burned 16 towns and killed over 1,100 people. Now, as devastating as all this was, typically in the American culture, when we have bad events, sometimes there are good things that come out of them. And the result of that had to do with what we now know as National Fire Prevention Week. It's actually the awareness that organizations like the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, and others, civic, local governments and what have you, civic organizations have tried to do to make all of us, young and old alike, safer in our homes, as well as the things that NFPA, Life Safety Code, building codes have done to make the products in and around our homes so much safer. This year, the National Fire Protection or the uh, Fire Protection Week slogan happens to be, Have Two Ways Out. And of all people around today that can talk about that, I would be one of them, because I assure you that I don't go into a building that I don't have an escape route. And I don't mind telling you from experience, this goes back to being uh, almost trapped in the third floor of an apartment building with only one way out in a fire. 
and there were people trapped in the complex. And fire at that in that day, ladder trucks. The closest one was some twenty or so miles away. It took a while to get a ladder truck to get people out. No one was was injured or killed in that particular fire. But when you deal with this and you see how rapidly fire can spread, it's it sort of sears a spot in your mind when you go into a hotel, an office building, maybe a home. How do I get out if I happen to have some type of a catastrophic event take place? You know, home fires reported about every 85 seconds or so across the United States. In 2010, the U.S. Fire Department responded to over 369,000 home fires, and there were thousands of injuries and over over almost 2,600 deaths, I should say. So what I want you to do is look around your home. You can do that as you're listening to this broadcast today, but I want you to look around your home. I want you to think about your bedroom locations. If you're in a multi-story home, basement, two, three floors on top of that, you're in an apartment building or a condo, do you have an escape plan in the event there were to be a fire? And think about your primary exit being blocked. This is one of the number one things that is taught to youngsters in school today. It's taught in the various scouting programs. It's taught through NFPA and other organizations. Always have an escape plan when you go into any type of a building. Almost two-thirds, 62% of reported home fire deaths resulted in fires in homes also with no smoke alarms or no working smoke alarms. So just because you have smoke detectors, do you know they work? You need an escape plan when you go into your home or in your building, your office building, whatever it may be, but then you also need to have smoke detectors. Smoke detectors have been part of the electric code and the building codes throughout this country now for many, many years. Some of you are saying, well, you know, I've got smoke detectors. I think they work. I'm not sure. Have you tested them? Go push that test button on those and be sure that they operate. Now, for more modern structures, especially homes, you're going to find that smoke and fire detection systems had two forms of power, one being line voltage, meaning the electricity that's coming through your switches and outlets in your home is the primary source, but these also have battery backups. So if you're saying they're line voltage powered, I don't have to worry about it. Yes, you do. You still need to put that battery in it because in the event of a power outage, a tree falling over on the house, pulling the line down that can start a fire, you would have no power. Those will not work unless the battery backup functions in those. Also, if you have opportunity to do some retrofit work, powered smoke detectors are much more effective than those that are simply battery. And in part, that's because we don't maintain them. So again, I urge all of you to take a little bit of time this time of year as we start moving into fireplace and lighting the the, uh, the the fuel oil heaters, the kerosene heaters, the various things we have in our homes for heating purposes. I want you to be safe. I want you to be sure that these life-saving devices work. Now, cooking's also been a leading cause of home fires uh, reported since 1990. You look at grease fires, unattended products, items on the stove is a huge cause of house fires. So this is something we need to train ourselves, not only ourselves, but our children perhaps in our house. You never leave these things unattended. Heating is another big cause of home fires. And again, some of you are listening to us today where it's a little on the chilly side. You may be sitting there with a space heater. or Maybe you've turned on your fuel oil heat for the first time this year. But I want you to be sure that the flues are open, be sure that you have proper flow in your fuel lines, that everything is functioning like it should, and that you have proper clearances from all combustible issues. Smoking materials we know for decades have been a huge issue. Electrical is another uh, big area where we see home fires, and one of those has created a code change. That has to do with just old fray cords on our lamps. So if you've got table lamps that have been passed down to you and you've had them in the house for 10, 15, 20 
40, 50 years, you may need to have those cords replaced and the internal wiring on those. A lot of fires are created by that. Newer homes will have what's called an arc fault circuit on that, and that detects a short in those cords. But most older homes, the majority of homes across this country, do not. And one of the last items that causes a lot of fires are candles. If you happen to be one of those folks that light candles in the house, be sure you're safe with those. Be sure your children stay away from them, and they're safe as well. Coming up this hour on this edition of Ken the Contractor, do you live in one of the best home markets for the coming year? Well, Ken will tell you. What does it mean if you're going to buy or sell your house? That's coming up in the news a half hour from now. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, one-on-one with Ken the Contractor this week, we'll be talking with Scott Nowatsky of Starborn Industries, dealing with deck fasteners. That's coming up this hour on this edition of Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to help you deal with that home improvement project you're dealing with this weekend or just a basic question about your home, inside or out. You can always reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And let's go to the phones right now. It's Billy who joins us next. Hi, Billy. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you today? How can we help you? Okay, I have a question that's an ongoing uh, discussion between my husband and I. Uh Uh-oh, you're going to squeeze me in between this debate? (laughs) That's right. Okay. Okay, we have uh, normal sash windows. Our house was built in 59, and we have traditional storm windows. Okay. Is it advantageous, and in what respect to replace those with um, the newer replaceable windows? Chances are pretty good you have a single pane glass if it's, it goes back to the late 50s. Am I correct with that? Yeah. It, okay. I, did, I, I didn't think you were going to find anything unless it had been something had been replaced and you still had the original sashes because there are retrofit kits out there. At any rate, you're going to find an energy savings in your overall heating cost, especially. You will find, to a lesser degree, an energy savings when you're in the cooling cycle, assuming you have central air conditioning in the house. But your biggest savings will be in the winter months. Uh, on the the heating. You'll be much more comfortable. You're not going to find as much humidity forming on the windows. Now, storm windows do a good job to help eliminate it, but it does not do the job. It isn't anywhere near as effective as the thermal pane glass is, as well as having good solid sashes these days, too, so that they're, the, the in terms of air and water infiltration, they're much tighter than the older windows would be. Have you ever heard of using both replacement windows and storm windows? And I can't tell you that I've heard, have or haven't heard of it. I know there are people that have maintained storm windows that they apply, obviously, over the opening in the cooler months and still have replacement windows. But what efficiencies that gives them, I can't relate to that. I don't know. I haven't had anybody come back and say, I saved an additional $50 a month by doing that. But I don't know there'd be anything wrong with doing it at all. Billy, thank you. We do appreciate your call. And, Ken, I look at some of the emails that you've grabbed for this hour. It looks like Windows is going to be one of our, our big themes. We've got another one uh, from Joan in Virginia and has an issue about an insulated window that has become cloudy. Yeah, this is a little different than what we were just talking about. But it said we have two different windows that have become cloudy looking over the last few weeks. Said it may be longer and we've just noticed them. They are clean on the exterior. This is on the inside. So I don't have any more information than that from Joan, but what I assume is that she has cleaned or they have cleaned both the interior and the exterior face of this particular sash. said, my brother tells me I need a new window. Can just the glass be replaced? Let's talk a little bit about that because I've had some incidents where people 
thought they had a problem and they really didn't. So, Joan, if you have thoroughly cleaned, and I'm having to read in between the lines, both the outside and the inside of the glass, and this is indeed a thermal pane glass because you're not telling me that either, but assuming you have an airspace in between it, it sounds to me like what you are describing is a uh, problem with the seal within that space. Now, in some cases, we have argon gas. We have other things that may be filled inside that cavity. If you have a thermal pane, a double or triple glazed sash, that makes it much more energy efficient. And if that seal is broken, what happens typically is the entire sash becomes cloudy, not just a spot. I've had people call me and say, I've got this spot that's cloudy. I've actually looked at some, Joan, where folks had grease on a window that someone had smeared around, and it looked cloudy, and they just weren't using the right product to get it off. So in your case, if it is a thermal pane window and the entire sash has become cloudy, then that seal has been broken. And most windows that I'm familiar with, I can't guarantee you all, but most windows can have the sash. The sash will come apart. That's the framework itself, and the glazing can be replaced. And most local window companies can do this. It's not necessary for you or for others that have this problem to try and find the original manufacturer and send it back, because in many cases the manufacturer is not even in business these days. So, Joan, I hope that helps you out a little bit. I've had to assume a few things. If you've got a thermal pane window, the whole sash is cloudy, you've got a removable sash, call your local window company and see if they can't take care of it for you. If you have a question for Ken, a couple different ways you can participate, you can give us a call at 800-614-2975 or email questions. Every question that's emailed to KenTheContractor.com gets a reply, and then Ken pulls out certain ones to bring to the program. Lebanon, Pennsylvania is where Kent is, and he emailed a question about a shower valve. Yeah, Kent has a plumbing problem, and for most of us, if we live in our house long enough, we're going to find that we're dealing with plumbing, electrical, air conditionings. As these components age, they need some degree of maintenance, and yes, over time, they're going to have to be replaced. It's just like our car. They do not have a, uh, a indefinite life period about how long they'll last. And Kent says we have a shower that has had the faucet installed, or it was installed about 21 years ago. It's been leaking for some time at a small rate. It's reached a point that the water flow is now substantial. Should I replace the entire valve or try to repair the washers or whatever first? Well, when you've got anything this small, especially shower valves, that's 21 years old, most of us are going to have a little difficulty finding parts. But still, going back 20, 21, 25 years, many of these did not have the single lever valves that we have today. And you may find, Kent, hopefully a local hardware store. If not, certainly a local wholesale plumbing house. They may have to order this. But if you can take the name of the shower valve to those locations, the name, the model number, and for most of us, it's if you're looking, it should be printed or stamped somewhere around the shower valve or on one of the faucet handles itself so you can identify it. You may be able to order or purchase over the counter the few items that you need. Older valves, especially if they are two-handle as opposed to the single lever, tended to have a valve in the middle of those as well as washers. More often than not, the washer is where we have an issue. 
This may be the case with your shower valve as well. For those of you listening that saying, hey, I've got a similar problem, but it's not this old. If you've got something that's 15, could be 20 years old, you may have what's called a cartridge, especially if it's a single valve that goes in the shower. Those can also be replaced, but they may have to be special ordered. I know on a property that I have recently had a plumber go out and do some repairs for me. They had to special order the valve because it was several years old. So don't expect that you're going to find them sitting around in the store just waiting for you to come in and buy them. Kent, I don't think you need to replace the whole faucet if everything that you works, you are just trying to stop a leak. I'd go this route first, save yourself a few dollars, and see what happens. Plumbing, for one reason, is something that we all assume will last until the end of time because we don't do anything about it till there's a problem. So it's not unusual that you could have years and decades, and then if something breaks, where do you find this stuff? Well, it's difficult in older products especially, even some newer ones, because there are thousands of different parts that are available out there that have been installed in our homes. But one thing that gets your attention today, if you're on domestic water, your sewer bill's typically much higher than your water bill because of the, the gallons flowing through. And if you've got a leak and a sink and a shower like Kent has here, you've got a toilet that runs constantly, you can save yourself some instant dollars by making that repair at the end of every month. You'll see a savings on that water bill. Uh, a friend of my wife's at work immediately got a, a, a water bill the other day three times three times what it should be. He later found out that he had one of those leaks, and it was going through three times as much water uh, in the space of a day that it normally should be. And it can it can present you with a huge bill, and oftentimes you're left holding the bag. You really The, the public utility is not going to credit you back money for your leaks internally. I'll tell you that. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question for Ken? Reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800 614 2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Thanks for making us part of your weekend plans. Don't forget, Ken is here every weekend to answer questions about your home inside or out. And you can join us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975 if you do have a question or comment. And also, don't forget, you can email your questions to Ken. You can go through our website, and that is KenTheContractor.com. And it's time now on this edition of Ken the Contractor to bring you this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Every week at this time, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide uh, options, and also save money. Joining me now is Scott Notatsky, and Scott is with Starborn Industries, which is a leader in deck manufacturing fasteners. This happens to be a product that many of us don't think about, and frankly, we should be spending more time with it because this is what's holding our deck material to the structure. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Ken. How are you doing today? Doing great. Glad you could join us. I want to talk decks with you since you uh, have the background of being a deck expert, and decks have been all over the news recently. Some of the national news services have been talking about not only the aging of decks, but failures of decks around the country. Having been in the business for a few decades myself, I have seen codes change because of the lack of proper fastening of deck boards to structures, structures to homes, and the lack of engineering in the decks. So let's talk a little bit about some of the fasteners that you and your company promote and deal with not only throughout the nation but around the world. 
Decks have also changed drastically. It used to be just basic pressure-treated materials. Today, we're seeing all types of products. Now, tell us a little bit about some of the deck fasteners and that you're into and how this comes into play with today's modern deck. You know, Starborn's been in, in the business of fasteners for uh, 50 years, and we really started focusing in on composite decking um, back in the early 2000s. And our, our specialty is color coordinating in stainless fasteners as well as carbon-based fasteners, which is more of an entry price point. But it's it's making sure that the fastener itself is consistent, high-quality, performance-wise. And more importantly, you know, that when the homeowner or the builder walks away from, from that deck, that fastener basically just disappears. You know, the, the best method of fastening a deck is straight from the top of the board down into the structure underneath, and that's that's what we specialize better than anybody else. And the end result is a is a fastener that, you know, we try to make sure the color matches is, is ideal and perfect. And decking manufacturers across the country love our fastener because of that. Now you work with many of the manufacturers in terms of coordinating their finish color with the fasteners you produce, and also the type screw itself or fastener, the thread, the head, every aspect of it which to many people seems minor or they don't give it a thought. But the wrong fastener will allow that board to, in some cases, come loose, expand, contract, just not perform as well as it's designed. And I use the term board loosely because most people relate to that as a deck board. But whatever the, the synthetic product is that they happen to be using on the top, is that, is that correct that you're working closely with these manufacturers? That, that is correct. We, we definitely focus and specialize in uh, composite-style decking, but we also work with you know, hardwood lumbers, so your EPAs and Tiger Woods and such. But we, we work one hand-in-hand hand with decking manufacturers across the country. Um, we publish, you know, in our brochures as well as on our website, you know, exactly the, the type of fastener that would be recommended for a specific color of board, depending on the manufacturer. And, and again, the, the goal is to have the, the right screw for the job. And so that when the builder's doing the installation, he doesn't or she doesn't have to worry about the screws breaking, stripping out, um, not going through the board as clean as, as they should. And again, the end result, just having a beautiful outside living space that uh, people are proud of. Well, a fastener, not unlike a nail, and I say fastener meaning screw in this case, not unlike a nail, has structural integrity to it. And it not only has to do with the shape and the size, but the materials that it happens to be made out of. And many homeowners and do-it-yourselfers as well should understand that the structural integrity is more important than just the the size, the diameter, the length, the thread, uh, those characteristics of a particular faster. And this is what you have worked with the manufacturers to develop is something that's right for their product. Now, also when it comes time to make decisions for these, looking at the color, looking at the right product, you've got a website that I've been to that I find rather unique that answers not only the question of color, type, size, but also gives you quantity. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we, we try to make the installation as, as simple and as convenient as possible. So at, on our website, you know, a, an individual can go there, whether it's the builder or the homeowner, and type in specifically the type of board that they're going to be installing, the size of the deck that they're going to be installing, and what we'll do on our part is give the best option as far as a color match, the best option as far as the type of fastener to use, and we also, you know, specifically spell out, here's the recommended quantity of fasteners that will be necessary to do that size of a deck. So the, the homeowner, the do-it-yourself individual, or the builder 
you know, can go into, you know, the local lumberyard, wherever they're getting their decking, and tell them exactly what they're going to need to complete their job and not have to worry about a whole bunch of leftovers. Scott, what is the website? It is starbornindustries.com. Okay, and then I know you've got a number of tabs. I've been to that site, starbornindustries.com. You can click on one of the tabs, I think, that takes you down to uh, one identified as Deck Faster Information Center. And that's where you'll be able to uh, have this program calculate the number of fasteners that you need and determine the size of the fastener, the color of the fastener. All they have to do is post, as you said, the brand, the name, and the color of the product that they're putting on their deck. Software does the rest. So they'll, they'll get a number that they can take that number and, and go to the, the local Lumberyard, and the Lumberyard will be able to take it from there. Starbornindustries.com, that's the website you need to go to to find these various items we're talking about. Scott Nowatsky, we appreciate you being with us today and sharing with us what's new in the marketplace and the things that will make our decking experience a little easier if we're doing it ourselves or for the pros. We appreciate you being here, Scott. It's been my pleasure, Ken. And that's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Now, one of the things I have to remind everybody about as far as decks are concerned, that in many locations today, you have to have a designed and engineered deck plan. So even though you can go online and determine your fasteners, that's great when it comes to the product, the quantity, and knowing what you need. But at the same time, be sure and check with your code officials as far as your deck plans, and it may need to be signed and sealed by an architect or engineer. And, you know, one of the... Most frequently asked questions on this program deals with decks and all the varieties of materials that you now have at your choice. Well, there are not only two or three these days. There are dozens and dozens of products. And if you want to add colors and textures, you are probably going to get into the hundreds when it comes to everything that you have that relates to a deck. And Starborn's dealing with the fasteners. Now, as we said in the interview, most of us don't think much about fasteners these days. But when it comes time to put it together, you've got to be looking at nuts, bolts, screws, uh, the uh, all the various things, whether it's concrete around the base of the support post, whatever, all of those come into play. So you really have to visit the big picture if you're going to do this right. Now, as far as the materials are concerned, the big question that most people tend to have is they really don't want to do any maintenance. So it appears that more folks are opting to spend money up front so that they don't have to fool with stuff later. And that's where I tend to be with most of these because a house, deck, anything else will work you to death if you let it. But the products are there today that allow us to buy at one time, minimal maintenance. And when you look at the composites, and those of you that call me, you'll hear more often than not that I'm on board with the composites. There are composites, there are plastics, there's aluminum. There's so many other products that are available that just have no or almost no maintenance going forward. You do pay for it up front, but you buy it one time. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can reach him at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. As Ken says, a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. If you need information online, go to our website, KenTheContractor.com. Also, don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. We also answer your email questions right here on the program every week. Those are questions submitted to KenTheContractor.com. This one comes to us from John out of Huntsville, Alabama. Got a little outdoor project. Said, I need to build a 20-foot retaining wall, and I assume that's 20 lineal feet, that I think, yep, is about three feet high. Said, I want to do it myself. I do not have any concrete forms, but did obtain a price to rent them. Is this the best way to build, as far as my wall is concerned? Are there other methods or materials that I should consider for a wall this size? 
Well, John, there are several other things that come into play for you and others that are constructing or having a retaining wall constructed. It's not always as simple as it appears to be. If this is simply a landscape retaining wall, meaning you're going to put plants behind it, you've got a grass area, you're not imposing any load, such as a driveway or a building built upslope or adjacent to this wall, then this is typically a wall that most homeowners may want to do themselves. If you're a hobbyist and you enjoy working with the outdoors, there are a lot of products available to you. You're looking at, or you're considering doing this in a fashion that tells me, though, that you may have some upslope loads that would require this to be formed and poured out of concrete with it properly reinforced with a footing and so forth. I'm going to suggest to you, though, for a wall that's only three feet high and only 20 feet in length, there's some easier ways and perhaps less costly for you to deal with it if you don't have those loads upslope to deal with. First, you can look at many of the landscape and pressure-treated timbers. A lot of these are specially designed and milled for an architectural landscape wall. Very attractive walls will last long-term. They have been treated. They're made out of certain products that will suffice, will hold very well. You'll also find some plastics that are available today, almost like plastic cross ties that are available for low-retaining walls where there's not a great deal of pressure. An item that's been very common for several years now are stacked block retaining walls. And these are designed so that they are lightweight enough that an individual can pick them up, set them in place, and install them. There are stacked block walls that are extremely heavy that takes a skid loader or a forklift to set. You see those used more often in a commercial setting. But for your use, look at your local hardware and big box store, your full garden shop, and you're probably going to find a variety of stacked block pre-engineered uh, units that are designed to go one on top of the other. They usually have some interlocking device. They will step back a fraction of an inch at each course, maybe some fabric that goes in place. You backfill these with stone. Generally pretty user-friendly, a lot of colors, textures, and styles to choose from that help will help make your garden look architecturally very attractive. Then, of course, you've got some standard methods of pouring a foundation, laying block, laying brick, filling those with concrete, and then taking care of the backside as far as the hydrostatic pressure, waterproofing, and those items. The bottom line for you is that I want you to be sure that if you've got a driveway that's on the high side of this, so you're putting vehicle traffic pressure against this retaining wall, that you're consulting with an engineer, and that the system is designed, whether you do it yourself or hire someone, to support those loads. Otherwise, you're wasting your time and your money. If it's all about landscaping, you've got so many products that are available. Check it out before you start thinking about renting concrete forms and doing it the hard way. Time now for In the News, and each week, Ken brings us products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. NAHB has just completed and just released some of their statistical data, their forecast for 2013s. Now, the National Association of Home Builders stays right on top of trends and permits, sales, and hot spots across the country. And what they are telling us is through the second quarter, home prices certainly are registering or we're seeing gains year over year nationally and in most markets. Permit starts and new home sales are also showing gains over 2011 and have generally picked up momentum as the year has progressed. Now, with that said, the economists working for NAHB expect to see growth in housing in 2013. The trend is upward. It's great for home builders. It's great if you're in a position to be selling a house right now. Maybe not as great if you are buying a home, because as we see more pressure on existing inventory, both existing homes and new construction inventory, we're going to see these prices continue to go up a little at a time. We're going to see all of a sudden builders become busier if you're looking to build a custom home. So you really need to keep tabs of the trends in your particular marketplaces. 
NAHB's initial forecast for 2013 calls for the greater than 20% growth in both starts and new home sales. That is pretty substantial, folks, 20%. However, their forecast, unlike most of the national economists, is done on a market-by-market basis. Now, out of 940 markets with a population of more than 20,000, they're expecting 513, or better than half of them, to see growth in 2013. And the growth potential in these markets range from 2% to 50%. If you're living in a 30, 40, 50% growth market, it will be very inflationary. You're going to see those prices go up, the inventory come down. And I tell you this because we try and keep you up on these trends. If you're thinking about buying a home, you may want to get a little more serious about that right now. As market rates are down, they're still near historic lows, and we're going to see a reasonable amount of inventory, but we're going to see that dwindle. Some of the best economic health areas that we have around the country are the villages, believe it or not, in Florida. This is forecast for 2013. Uh, for Delaware, Salt Lake City, Utah, jumping down to number 10 on their list, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Best overall sales. If you live in this area, you can look forward to this. At least that's what NAHB is saying. Number one nationwide for next year, Houston, Baytown, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth. Jump down to number 10 on their list, Orlando, Kissimmee, and Sanford, Florida. So for those of you listing in any of these areas, you have something to look forward to. The best forecasted growth for 2013 by NAHB, number one, is the Phoenix, Mesa, Glendale, Arizona area. Number two, Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Marietta, Georgia. Number 10, Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater. And believe me, there are plenty of you in Florida that are looking forward to seeing some kind of growth. So number 10 on the best forecasted growth for 2013 by NAHB. Well, it's been a while since we've had good news in the housing market. Let's try to get a couple of mailbags in. One, Kevin in Roanoke. We've had some particularly rough weather this summer. Wants to know about replacing window screens that he lost in a storm. Yeah, he says, during a recent storm, we lost five window screens. And I do not know the name of the window manufacturer. How do I obtain replacement screens? Well, for all of you, Kevin, not just you, but for everybody listening out there, we deal with this on occasion. Most local hardware stores will rescreen the the screens from your sliding glass door and from your windows, regardless of manufacturer. Not all, but most of any size. If they happen to have a shop or a service area, that's where I want to suggest you start. You're not likely to find that with a lot of the big box stores. Check your local hardware folks first. Also, your local window and glazing company. So whether they do mostly commercial work or not, they'll tend to rescreen and make the screen frames if you've actually bent or lost that frame altogether. We've had more than our share of window questions this week. Frida, she's got a cloudy window. She's tried to clean it. She can't. Ken, what can you do for her? Well, Frida, I think we uh, addressed something similar to this uh, in another segment. But if it's a triple-paned window, if it's a double-paned window, and it's completely cloudy on the inside, then for you and for others, that says that the seal or that's within that window that helps make this energy efficient has been broken. And you can likely have a local glazing company, a glass or a window company, replace that. Now, there are some of you out there, and you may be one, Frida, that has an old-style sash that will not come apart. If that's true, then you're going to have to replace the entire sash itself. You're going to have to look for a company that will build you a replacement unit or go back to the original manufacturer if they're still around, and you can locate the name. Most windows have a name tag or a plate stamped on them or applied to them somewhere within the jam. You may not see it on the face, but it may be in the part where a window raises up and down or where the crank is if you've got an awning window. Very good. That wraps up this hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. 
Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.